0: How's your New Year's resolution going? You know, I've been teasing about resolutions a little bit lately, and then I, I saw that uh, we have an announcement on our bulletin of some very good things encouraging physical health and wellness and things like that. And, and so don't let me poo poo resolutions too much here. Um, but resolutions certainly work better when we don't do them in our own strength. But we do them in obedience to the Lord and in his strength, as we learned from our brother Joe last week, and we're blessed by that. Maybe you don't want to talk about your resolution, though. Uh, you you might already be feeling defeated about now, and, and um, you might have given up having a resolution in the first place, right? Aim at nothing, and you're always going to hit it as it goes. We can be glad that God did not give up on his plan for our redemption, no matter the resistance. And we see in our passage this morning how resistance was immediate to Jesus' presence on the earth. How Satan inspired one of the most powerful men in the region to do his best to stop The life, to end the life of the king of the Jews. The one that Herod the Great knew had been prophesied as being the Messiah. I want to encourage you here this morning that King Jesus will accomplish God's redemption plan. No matter the resistance no matter the powers that come to bear against it, King Jesus will accomplish God's redemption plan. God didn't make an emotional resolution that only lasts a few days. The triune God had been at work since before the foundation of the world to begin to plan, to redeem A people for himself. It wasn't just some fly-by-night resolution. And we see today how even the child king Jesus ends up untouchable, even by the most powerful ruler in the land. The ruler that Rome itself had set up and backed in Judea. First, we want to review where we have been in Matthew's Gospel. It's been a couple weeks here. But if you recall, we read in Matthew 2, 1 through 4, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of, king of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So if you recall, these these magi from the east we as as we talked about this, probably created enough a store there was likely more than three of them or more than that in their caravan in their their entourage that they brought with them and it, and it alerted Herod and his people and when Herod is alerted and concerned, all of Jerusalem was concerned. They came looking for the king of the Jews. And we see that Herod immediately knows that they're speaking of the Christ. Because we read in verses 7-8, through when Herod summoned, uh, he, he inquires where the Christ was to be born. And when then he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Because Herod's scribes had told him, well, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And and he passed this word on to them, but he sent them saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, we know enough about this Herod known as Herod the Great. And he was known as Herod the Great Because he began the Herodian dynasty, there were other Herods that came after him um, because they were descended from him. That term Herod, as we talked about, is kind of like the term Caesar. It's kind of like king, but it was his dynasty there. and he, He had established his dynasty through political means and murder, even. And so due to that, the Romans saw him as a good ally to have as king of the region, even as they ruled it. And he was great in their eyes. But We also saw in verse 12 of Matthew 2, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. This is after the Magi, the wise men, had come to Jesus where he and Mary and Joseph had been living at this time in Bethlehem and given their gifts and knelt down and worshiped it says they departed to their own country by another way planning that they were not going to inform Herod in obedience to this dream that they had This morning we're going to see 3 situations 3 situations and each end with an explanation of how that situation only confirms that Jesus is the rightful king. Not just of Judea. Not just of Bethlehem and Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But the king of the universe. The king of all kings. And so let's read our verses while we make these th- comparisons. Three comparisons from these situations that we're Seeing So we're dividing our verses up into these three situations, and and within those we can compare some things between King Jesus and those that are trying to thwart him. So we read in verse 13 and following, Now when they had departed, speaking of the wise men departing from the area, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken By the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. The the protection of God the Son, Jesus, by God the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is is prominent in our passage here. And we see it happen in these three sections, and expressed in these three sessions. And we, we see here the angel delivers the warning to Joseph. Before Herod even gets Gives the order. You've heard of uh, inside information? This is information from the inside of Herod's head. We're we're told here, Herod is about to do this. And, And this term that is used to describe that Herod is seeking to destroy the child... It'll pop up again in Matthew 12, 14, where it says the Pharisees went out and considered and conspired against Jesus how to destroy Him. It'll pop up in Matthew 27, verse 20. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. This will be the tactic, the the plan, the intention of God's enemy throughout Jesus' ministry to try to dethrone the king of kings. And of course, Jesus teaches in John 10.10, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then he says of himself, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Praise the Lord that the King of Kings is about life. And life is found in him. It's clear to see that Herod a- and is an agent of the one who came to steal, kill and destroy. So so Joseph is told to wake up and take Mary and his child, Jesus, and travel what would be about 90 miles to the border with Egypt. We don't know how far he went into Egypt. We don't know if they went all the way to the area of Alexandria, which was, had um, a number of Jews living there and was, was um, certainly a safe place for them there in Egypt. But this 90 miles that it would have taken to get outside of the reach of King Herod is about the distance between here and Marion, Indiana, where uh, Indiana Wesleyan is found. I did a little uh, calculating on Google Maps, and it'd take about 30 hours of a brisk, continuous walk. So this probably was about a week's journey that, that Joseph... Um, having all of their wealth basically in these three gifts from the Magi, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, ups and and takes Mary and the child and immediately makes this one week-long journey to Egypt. And the fury of Herod and the obedience of Joseph Provide for Scripture to be fulfilled here, and that fulfillment of Scripture describes Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel 's mission on Earth. And why do I say that? Why do I say that this description is, is describing Jesus as, as the final fulfillment of israel 's mission? Well, that's because Hosea 2:15, which is quoted here, refers to Israel 's exodus from Egypt where they had become the nation of God. Remember, they went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, and after 400 years of slavery there, they came out of Egypt, 3 million, a nation in themselves. And this prophecy that out of Egypt I will call my son was referring to Israel, but it also, we see Jesus as the completion of Israel's mission here. Out of Egypt I will call my son King Jesus accomplishes in himself the salvation that Israel was to bring to this world. They were to usher him in themselves. And the ESV study Bible says Matthew highlights God's sovereign care in this infancy account of Jesus, the king. The completion of that mission. So we move on to comparison number two here. And we can compare Herod's violence and how it's powerless against a child Messiah. We read, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region where, uh, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And, and we see this, this sad age limit had come from the understanding of, that Herod received when he asked the wise men, when did the star appear? So we know it was at most two years early before their visit. Then was fulfilled, we see that statement again, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Rama, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The normal route that the Magi would have taken would have taken them through Jerusalem. It would have been probably three times the journey for any route that they would have taken other than that. So with the the magi, these wise men, not showing up in Jerusalem again, having visited and worshipped Jesus in Bethlehem, Herod would have known, these guys are avoiding me. And we read here that he became furious and he goes scorched earth. Now, no number... is is okay as far as children being slaughtered by armed guards. But for the estimation of the town of Bethlehem and the surrounding region, this would have been probably about 20 to 30 children killed. Herod was known for violent actions like this there was a high priest that he didn't like and was kind of a competitor to him, and he ended up having a, quote, drowning accident in a pool that was only a few feet deep during Herod's reign. Herod had his favorite wife strangled. He was tricked into having two of his sons murdered uh, because he had been lied to, that they were conspiring against him. He, his, on his deathbed, he had another son executed and became a saying, it'd be better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be his son. This was a ruler that did everything by hook or by crook to stay in power. Regarding this terrible event as a fulfillment of Scripture, note something about how Scripture is described as being fulfilled here. How this fulfillment is mentioned. Rather than saying, this happened in order to, which would be a purpose statement, or so that, which would be an intended result statement. Such as verse 15 states, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Instead, here we're told, then was fulfilled what was spoken. Kind of like happenstance. Oh yeah, this fulfilled scripture too. This indicates that Herod took his action carrying full moral responsibility and it also fulfilled scripture. The original statement spoke of the deportation of Israel's males to Babylon and their eventual return. You can read in Jeremiah 31 verses 16 through 17 Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. This is, this, these are the verses that come after the description of Rachel weeping for her children, for they are no more. Talking about their deportation and follows up with saying, but they shall come back. What seems to be a reference here is how Jesus would bring hope out of despair. Beauty from ashes, if you will. But moving forward, we see a third comparison here. And that is that Herod meets his end and Jesus' family is guided to their destination. We read, but when Herod died... So, Moses, I'm sorry, not Moses, like Moses, Joseph, there we go, I'm just running through all the patriarchs here, Joseph and Mary and Jesus are in Jerusalem, but, oh man, Joseph and Mary and Jesus are in Egypt, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise. What was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Everyone meets an appointed time of their death, and Herod was no exception. This Herod the Great, the founder of the Herodian dynasty in Judea, came to the end. And the threat of Herod lasted only as long as the rest of Herod's life And God the Father was intent on making sure that his son was where he needed to be. Both through another dream in which an angel of the Lord spoke to him and also through common sense of let's not go back to Jerusalem, let's go back to the place of our origin, Nazareth. Herod met his eventual end and his dynasty met its unavoidable demise. Having, yes, it outlasted Herod the Great, Archelaus is mentioned here, but they were warned uh, through word of mouth this time to avoid the short reign of Herod Archelaus. We learn that, that Archelaus was hated by the Jews and was cruel like his father. And because of the danger of revolt that his, uh, his violent reign brought in Judea, the Romans actually came and removed him and banished him to the area known today as France. But You know, there's no prophecy actually about the Messiah being a Nazarene, coming from Nazareth. But if you notice, it, it doesn't say the prophet, it says the prophets. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled this is a general prediction and it's understood that it's likely referring to how Jesus would be despised and rejected beginning with where he was from i remember describing to my dad a town that one of my friends had come from and he said oh that's a good place to be from and what he meant was it's a, it's not a good place to live it's a good place to leave if you remember even one of Jesus's disciples when he's told about Jesus, the Nazarene that that his his um, the other was following, he responds, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" The overriding theme that we see in these verses, even through these comparisons, these situations is that king jesus will accomplish god's redemption plan amidst all the geopolitical power struggle that's going on we're shown how the baby king <clears throat> excuse me the baby king jesus is carried by god the father and those faithful to the lord jesus lived the life that we are called to live. And we will see this throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus lived the life that we are called to live in complete submission to God the Father and in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. This is no less true when he was an infant, depending on God the Father and those that God the Father had put around him. And there's recurring smaller themes that pop up in our passage. Those of obedience. Bewaring desperation. And fulfillment. And as you probably know from from us going through God's word together. So far we've just kind of made observations. We've just kind of seen uh, comparisons that you can make reading our verses. But I want to give you... Challenges. I want to give you encouragements. I want to give you something that you can take to the bank and live by from our passage here. And the first challenge that we gain from these themes is to trust God to direct his obedient subjects. Do you notice, like the word for word, twice we see it for Joseph. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. And flee to Egypt and we see in verse 14 he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt we see again in verse 19 an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying rise take the child and its mother and go to the land of Israel now Joseph didn't get up and say no I'm fine here enough with this moving around now we see in verse 21, he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Trust God to direct his obedient subjects. Are you one of his obedient subjects of the king? Keep in mind this activity came after 400 silent years in which God did not speak. To prophet or king or anybody, having been directed by God in the dream already, Joseph has his ear tuned to God's commands, just as we should be. You know, one of the things that I have loved so much, and I'll just—I'm going to pull up a random section of Psalm one nineteen, and I have loved so much. How we are told in Psalm 119, in all of these over 150, I think it's 175 verses, of the value of God's word. The value of how God can direct our life. I'm just going to pull up verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts. God is ready to direct your life. Through his word. Are you ready to obey it? Plain and simple. You know we hear, we hear a lot. Especially in the political banter these days. Of people wanting to be on the right side of history. Or deciding that this founding father was on the wrong side of history. Like Joseph the most powerless of people can be outlasted. By their testimony of faith. And the most powerful of men can be remembered. For their pitiful desperation. And destruction. Of everything they touched. When you feel vulnerable. And small. Compared to the pressure. That is coming to bear on you. Trust God. And obey him when you're afraid of the man coming and taking away your guns, trust God to help you and give you the grace to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. That's victory in God's eyes. I'm not making a statement about guns. We're just talking about what is victory in our king's eyes. When you're concerned that inflation might deflate your paycheck to nothing. Trust God to direct you as you're willing to obey him. Realizing that you may get to learn contentment in times of want as well as in times of plenty. Moving on, the second challenge that we can take from our passage here this morning is trust God rather than fearing desperate rulers. Rulers. Trust God rather than fearing desperate rulers, we see this theme of Herod as a desperate ruler over and over again he's he he is Herod is about to uh Joseph is warned Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. That pops up in the first section in the second section. We're told then Herod when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and 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 did this, gave this terrible order to the garrison there close by in Bethlehem that was carried out probably very swiftly. And, of course, this desperate ruler eventually dies with all of his guilt and, I believe, continues to pay the punishment right now and for all of eternity. We've seen how Herod is powerless even though he's done everything with it in his power to keep Power, But all of his attempts did nothing but make the matter worse. In fact, Herod, this is a historical truth, Herod wanted to make sure that there were mourners at his funeral. So when it became apparent that he was going to die, he gave the order to round up a bunch of noblemen from Judea that the people loved And gave the order that upon his death, they were to be killed. So that at least somebody will be mourning for someone when he dies. But in the end, after his death, wisely the people that followed him set the nobles free. So the day of his death actually became a huge day of celebration. Herod was powerless in the end even though he did everything in his power to hold on to his power. Makes me think of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth set their charge and they say, we will not submit to the Lord's anointed. What does it say God does? The one who sits in heaven laughs. You know, Anybody who's been a parent is accustomed to those leveling up fights with your child. You know, the child might even level up to the point of saying, you know what? I hate you. And the parent feels like they've got to level up. Well, you know what? You're not just grounded to your room for a month. You won't come out of your room for a year, right? In those moments, guys, just as a side note, it's really up to us as parents to kind of stop and go, okay. Let's throw some water on the fire here. Let's, we gotta, let's hit redo. But in the same way, we're called to let faith override fear. Just as we sang about this morning. No matter what seems to be on the horizon, we are called to trust God to care for us. Not level up with those that bring pressure. And we know that he uses all things to help followers of Christ to be better conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we're told in Romans 8, 28 through 29. Lastly, the clearest encouragement that we can take from our passage here is to trust King Jesus as the fulfillment of God's plan. Interestingly, all three of these statements, all three of these prophecies, that were um, listed off here, prior to this, these, uh, the, these connections, they weren't really considered to be foretelling anything about the coming Messiah. As I mentioned, verse 5 originally referred to Israel being brought out of Egypt. Verse 18 referred to Israel being taken off to captivity Rachel weeping for her children, but also referred to their return from captivity and the hope that would come from that despair. And verse 20 references the prophets in general predicting that Jesus would be despised even from his upbringing, being from Nazareth. So why do we believe that Jesus' life and surrounding activities fulfilled the scriptures that are referred to here or the general Uh, idea that the prophets had of Jesus' coming. We believe this because the Holy Spirit tells us through inspiring Matthew to write these verses telling us this was to fulfill or then was fulfilled what was said. See, oftentimes the New Testament within it, it does the same through, uh, in many places, the Holy Spirit reveals through the author something that's not expected. And it's it's a or something takes on greater meaning because it's brought to light in Christ. And it's kind of like, oh, wow, I wasn't even expecting him to do that, too, or to fulfill that, too. I didn't even know that was a thing. But look, Jesus even did that. And that is certainly a theme throughout the verses here as we noticed each section ends with this was to fulfill or then was fulfilled what was said or this happened so that what the prophet said would be fulfilled. It's definitely a major point being made here and we can trust King Jesus as the fulfillment of God's plan. You know... Um, When I grew up as a kid, I don't know if it's because I went to, you know, a, a private school where there was, you know, some snobby kids and stuff. You know, you'd have a, you know, kids would have a pocket knife and things, but then you'd have the kids with the Swiss Army knife. Whoa. I mean, it had several knives, a screwdriver, Phillips and flathead, scissors, toothpick, yeah. Toothpick there, which is probably the only thing that got used. A saw for cutting down a tree, if you needed to. <laughs> everything to survive, and somehow a corkscrew, you need for survival too. You know, the kids that had those, they would be like, Phew. "It's like, gee, which one should I need to use here?" It came with everything. It was, it was the the possibilities were endless. The value, the potential was endless. We see and we will see as we move through Matthew as Jesus tells us this is what my kingdom is like. This is what those who are part of my kingdom will be about. These are the rules of my kingdom if you will as we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount. We will see over and over again that King Jesus accomplishes more than we might ever be able to comprehend. I don't know if you'd is it, is, it, is it okay to call him the Swiss army knife of king of kings? Right? I mean, it's all there. And I think we are going to spend eternity. If you know Christ as your savior, you are going to spend eternity finding out all that Jesus accomplishes in who he is. I think it will take eternity to learn about the infinite God. He is the completion of the mission of Israel in the world we see here. He's the one that in the end will make sense of every tragedy. He's the Messiah that would be despised and humble from even the days of his upbringing. And allow these verses to reassert for you all of what we are told in our passage and how it confirms that Jesus is as is the one that is praised when we say with 1 Timothy 1, 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That belongs to our King Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the high honor to make much of you. Lord, I pray for myself and my friends here that we would accept that calling throughout our week. That through whatever the conversation, through whatever the circumstance, be it disappointing or exciting, that we would make much of you through it. Whatever the disappointment, whatever the joy, whatever comes over the horizon, that we would see it as belonging to you, a moment that you own. And where we do not see How it fits. That we would take it to your throne. We would ask for the grace and the help to know, Lord, how would you be desiring to be glorified in this? And that, like Joseph, we would go and do it, whatever it be. Thank you for the opportunity to walk with you through the person and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I pray that every single person here would know that for themselves personally. Would have yielded their hearts to you, recognizing their sinfulness, recognizing their need. For Jesus' sacrifice to count for them. Just as you intended. And would walk with you as your child. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.